This is the non-microwave truth, and I am C.L. Whiteside. I just realized this. I just realized that this podcast has been going on for over a year. That's a blessing. That's a straight up blessing. And big shout out to the people that's been here since day one, listening and supporting A1 since day one, written reviews, left the five star, shared it with a friend. I appreciate y'all. I love y'all. I do. I do. I do. Ooh. And to the people that have reached out, I appreciate that. I appreciate you extending that branch, extending that love. Now, enough of that. Let's get into our first world problem. Our first world problem question today is this. It's Pride Month. And with it being Pride Month and people celebrating LGBTQ plus and love who you love, should Christians, this is the question, should Christians try and take back the rainbow? And the reason I thought about this is the other day, Memorial Day with my family, my nephews looked and they was like, Unc, Uncle CL, you see grandma watch? And I'm like, yeah. They're like, why does she have a watch on a pride watch? And I'm like, what? what? She had a rainbow band Apple watch. And I'm like, I bet you she doesn't even know. I was like, you should tell her though. You should say something to her. So they said, they're like, grandma, which happens to be my mom. They're like, grandma. Did you know you had a rainbow band on that's supposed to be supporting pride? Or if somebody looked that up, they would think that you're supporting pride month or LGBTQ plus. And of course she didn't. She's just like, I like a rainbow. I love rainbow colors. And I'm just like, you got to come up with a better response than that, though. I like that could be the opportunity for you to witness or actually share with someone what the true meaning of a rainbow is and how a rainbow even got started. And she was like, well, what do you mean by that? The true meaning of, of a rainbow. So we got to go back to Genesis. God decided to send a worldwide flood because the world was so, so evil. So he decided that it would rain for 40 days and 40 nights and everyone would get killed and everything would get killed except a man named Noah and his family. And then the animals that he had on or in the wooden ark. Now, that's not something that people necessarily want to hear. But the part that I'm getting at is that God made a covenant with us. When he gave us the rainbow and a rainbow is a sign of the covenant that he would never, ever destroy the earth like that again. We're good. And that covenant was not just for Noah and his family, but that covenant was for all generations to come. That includes us and for all living creatures. So if you didn't know, now you know what the true, real meaning and definition behind the rainbow. When you see a rainbow, it should put a smile on your face like, ooh. God was so merciful and good to me. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But the question is, us as Christians, should we just be wearing rainbow stuff wherever and be ready to share this message with people? Should we try to steal back the rainbow? Because I feel like the LGBTQ plus and pride month and all these things that are not godly have stolen the rainbow. And us as Christians have kind of been like, well, you you know what? You can take the rainbow. We really don't want it. But it's like, hold up. God is the one who established the rainbow. God is the one who put a covenant behind the rainbow. God is the one who uses the rainbow to remind us of the grace and the love and the mercy that he shows us and will continue to show us. So as Christians, should we take back the rainbow? Should we attempt to take back the rainbow? And I'm not talking about Skittles. I'm talking about should we be confident to wear rainbow colors and be ready to explain the real reason behind the rainbow? What do you think, though? Should Christians rock the rainbow and use the rainbow just as much, if not more, than any other group? What do you think? And this is our first world problem.
It is dinner time. The title of this episode today is Mention This Sin. This is one of those episodes you can't listen in snippets. You got to listen to the whole thing. Now, what's the difference between a mistake and a sin? People interchange those words like all the time. Like, I made a mistake and I slept with this dude and I found out that he had a whole wife. Like, girl, oh my goodness. Like, nah, baby girl, that's that's a sin. And I guess we can say that mistakes don't automatically mean that they're sins, but sins are automatically mistakes. And I guess we would just categorize sins as things that go against God's word. Like me missing a jumper, that's a mistake. Me getting mad and cussing someone out, that's a sin. I think you get the picture. And now that we got that out the way, on this episode of Mention This Sin, I want you just to think about when you look at certain speakers or let's say you listen to certain podcasts or certain churches or I should say pastors or denominations, they seem to hammer one sin more than the other. So an example is this. A pastor might mention he might barely touch on drinking and getting drunk, but then he will hammer, hammer homosexuality and abortion. And if you're on the outside looking in, you like he really needs to talk about drunkenness because his whole church gets drunk all the time. I saw him on Saturday. He was wasted and acting a pure D fool. In fact, he smells like booze right now in church. Or I've heard things like people mention a church that has like a ton of members and the members leave. They leave feeling awesome. They leave feeling good. But then you look at them like, hold up. I don't know what to think about this church or if I should go to this church because I know because I've seen it with my own two eyes that you are not living a life that the good book tells you to live. And it looks like you aren't making any type of lifestyle changes like that church must not be that good then, or that speaker must not be that good because look at them. And on this episode of Mention This Sin, that's what we're going to look at today. Like, how often should a pastor talk about a particular sin that a person is struggling with or they feel like their congregation is struggling with? Or how often should we talk about particular sins when we think that is very prevalent in our world? Because every sin is supposed to be the same, right, or carry the same weight. And even that is like, eh, that, that, that's tough. That's a tough thing to say because some sins usually lead to more sins in a lot of cases. And on this episode of Mention This Sin, I want to just talk about if you are sitting in a pew or are you the type of person that listens to a lot of things and all of a sudden you're like, oh, he's talking about me. Or you're in the car like, dang, this is describing my life. You have a choice right then and there to realize like, man, if the shoe fits, wear it. And I know that I've had some sermons, I've had some things that I've listened to where it was like punching the gut. And I'm just like, this was definitely talking about me. And in the same light, I've seen some people get super defensive and make excuses like, why is he always talking about this sin? And why isn't that sin being talked about? And it's like, does the shoe fit? If it fits, wear it. If it doesn't, keep it moving. And believe this or not, we get so in tune or spend so much energy trying to defend or excuse certain sins or lifestyle choices that we make 
I should say, and lifestyle choices that we make, because I'm talking about sins right now, that in reality, we don't even remember if another sin was talked about because we are good in that area. And I put air quotes around that. I do think that we forget that part of us identifying our sin is not just based off of a podcast or a sermon, but it's also based off of us reading the Bible and realizing like, dang, God is speaking to me through this. And whether we hear it in a sermon, whether we hear it in a podcast, whether we hear it in a conversation that we have, if we become aware of sin in our hearts and our lives and we continue in that sin and begin to excuse and defend it, that's when we are in, in danger of allowing that sin to rule in our hearts. And that's the same as when we were unbelievers then. So when we when we continue to do that and we're like, forget it, and we know this is a sin that will soon drive out the Holy Spirit and faith from our lives. And that's something that Paul warns us against in Romans 8, verse 13. He says, if you live according to that simple nature, you will die. And that's where people use that phrase that no sin is greater than another sin. But this is where it breaks it down and it shows us like if we are stubborn if we are making excuses, if we are willful in that sin, that's more dangerous to our faith than sins of like weakness or sins of ignorance. Because if we notice the sins of weakness or the sins of ignorance, we repent and ask for forgiveness as soon as we realize those sins. But the other ones, the stubborn ones, the willful ones, uh-uh, we like, I'm doing this and this is who I am. And that's where a church or people get in trouble with saying that homosexuality is a greater sin. When in reality, it isn't, but it is one of those sins that people become very stubborn in. They become very willful in. And then they wrap their identity in that versus wrapping it up in Christ. And I just use that one because it's Pride Month and that's one that our culture promotes and says is okay. And I know that's something that some end up walking completely away from God and want nothing to do with the Bible or Christ. Now, on this episode of Mention This Sin, I want to look at this. When someone is living in a particular sin, how should their sin be addressed? And how should they leave feeling if their sin is brought to the light? And the two examples that I want to use from the Bible today are the woman at the well and the rich young ruler. The first one being the woman at the well. This is in John chapter four. And I have to point out that Jesus didn't stick his nose up at her. He didn't come out blasting her on all her sins and all the things that she had done wrong. The first thing that Jesus did is Jesus had a conversation with her. Jesus built a rapport. He built a relationship with her immediately. And I've heard pastors talk about having certain couples that they know that are living together and doing the nasty or someone who struggles with the law or someone who's struggling with the sin of homosexuality. And their goal and their point is not to put that person on blast right away or at all, I should say. The main thing that they want to do is build a relationship with them and then show them God's word. Show them how merciful and how gracious and how loving our God is. And also to show them that they do need a savior. And going back to Jesus and the woman at the well, it says that his disciples were surprised that he was talking to her. And it's not because Jesus wasn't kind or compassionate, but they sometimes forgot. The disciples sometimes forgot that he wasn't the typical teacher or a typical human because he was the actual gospel message. Like him telling her who he was and what he could do for her is a note that all of us should take when talking to someone, especially someone that we know is living in a particular sin. 
And if you look at what Jesus says to her, he never said the words, you are wrong. He stated facts. And he saw that she had a biblical background and he told her, you know, go and call your husband and come back. And she replied to him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right. You say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. And what Jesus masterfully does is he doesn't say like you are wrong. He more so says what you have right now is nothing compared to what I can give you. In verse 14, he says, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, some notes to take from Jesus in this interaction is that one, he had a conversation with her. He showed compassion first. He gave her facts and he compared those facts to the word of God. He showed her that the life that she was currently living was always going to make her thirsty again. But if her life was with Christ and she drank the water that he was given, she wouldn't thirst again. Now, when we look at how we should respond, if we feel like our sin is brought to the light is a great example from this woman at the well. She didn't respond to Jesus with the, you don't even know me or what I've been through. There's a reason I've had so many men in my life and like you don't even know. She didn't make excuses. She didn't say it's your fault because you made a lot of ain't stuff dudes out here. She didn't blame. She didn't point the finger. She in fact said, I can see that you are a prophet. And then later on, she left her water jar. She went back into town and she said to the people, hey, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And the last point that I want to leave you with when it comes to the woman at the well is the importance of sharing our own personal testimony with people and how that's led us to change. Like not glorifying sins, but sharing how God led us to change. Because can you imagine how the people in the town view that woman all of a sudden when she had the gospel and she had the realization and the understanding that she needed a savior and she was actually saved and she was a child of God? I would, if I was a bed man, I would say she had to seem different. Now let's move on to our next biblical example, which is the rich young ruler. Now the rich young ruler is different because he's kind of on his high horse and Jesus is still compassionate and he's still loving, but his love looks different since the particular sin that he was struggling with. He didn't seem to necessarily be aware of, and he's messed up in his thought process because he seems like, or he seems to think that he could earn his way to heaven, he being the rich young ruler. And when I was reading this, I was like, how does this correlate with our culture? And the prime example that I came up with, or the thought that I have was when people are like, she's such a good person. No, seriously, she is like a saint. She doesn't do this. She doesn't do that. She does this for her community. She does that for this person. And it was kind of like the disciples were viewing the rich young ruler as this good person they're so good but we know apart from god none of us are good now us church going folks or devout christians we can struggle to empathize and show grace and we can fall guilty of like the same thing as the rich young ruler and his arrogance and where we become arrogant at times is we don't want jesus to be our savior we want religion 
and we want this concept and we want this idea and we want some philosophies of Jesus to show us that we can be our own savior. And I wouldn't call this Christianity because that's not what real Christianity is, even though we hide behind the name of Christianity at times of us trying to play our own savior or us using religion to try to make us look better than this person or that person and us earning our own salvation, which is impossible. Now, what we see with Jesus and what we can take from him is he had a different approach because he had someone who came to him with a direct question. Now, when we have direct questions that come to us and some of the statements that we hear nowadays, like we pretty much believe the same thing. I think everyone who's a good person will be in heaven or it's all about just making this world a better place and doing whatever helps you get through it or life is all about being comfortable and being happy and whatever path you need to take to get to there, God is okay with. That is that fluffy perfume sprayed boo-boo. It's not true. And after the man thought that he kind of could earn his way to heaven, Jesus had to lovingly tell him the truth. And when he said to him, he said, hey, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. He had to show the rich young ruler where he was wrong in order to show the rich young ruler that he did need a savior because the rich young ruler was thinking like, dude, I'm the man like I, I probably I'm pretty good at this being good thing. Like I can earn salvation. And to the average person, he seemed like such a good person. And that's one of those things that I see a lot of people struggle with because they're like, I'm a good person, but I just can't give up filling the blank. I can't give up this job or I can't give up this lifestyle. And a point that I have to make is it is a true skill. And I think this is a skill that all of us should practice is when we hear a message and the message isn't specific, but it's a little more broad. And it uses a statement like you didn't want to give up this lifestyle or you're worried about this inconvenience in you and the Lord is going to deliver you. And then all of a sudden in your mind, you go over your lifestyle and you think about some things that you might be struggling with that you think are going to be an inconvenience to you. And then all of a sudden you think like, dang, I didn't want to give up getting high. Or you know what? I was thinking about having an abortion because having a baby right now would be super inconvenient. But man, the, the pastor or this message is actually talking to me. And don't get mad about it or defensive. Just sometimes realize that the Holy Spirit is trying to teach me and guide me. And that's one of the benefits of being a, a Christian. Now, let's go back to the rich young ruler. The disciples were absolutely amazed at his words, Jesus's words of how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And what we see with this is the people or the person we look at and say, man, she really is a good person. She's she good people, bro. She good people. I have a heart of gold. I'm a really nice person. But if someone asked you or asked them. Yeah, I don't really get into all that Bible stuff. I just believe in treating people how you want to be treated and putting good energy out there. And by the way, this is in Mark chapter 10. But what we just see is that like if you think that you can do it all by yourself or you think that you can earn it. Jesus says with people, it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And if you leave church or if you leave hearing a message or if you leave um, having a godly conversation or what you thought was a godly conversation and you thinking 
you're all good by yourself or that it's okay for you to live in sin, then you're leaving like the rich young ruler and that's dangerous. And in vice versa, if you leave a conversation or you leave hearing a message and you think like, dang, it's nothing I can do. My sins are not paid for and, and God just won't forgive me. That's really, really dangerous too. And what we see with our two examples in this episode of mentioned this sin with the woman at the well and the rich young ruler is that Jesus in both cases, he showed them their sin and he showed them how that sin had entangled and wrapped them up and created a wedge in the most important relationship, which was with him. And also what makes Jesus very special is Jesus was able to see, does this person or group of people need more law or do they need more gospel? And that's something that we have to pray for, for discernment. And we have to pray for the Holy Spirit to lead us in our conversation or the messages or the times that we reflect. Do I have enough law? Do I have enough gospel? If you have too much law, that can lead people to think that they can earn salvation through obedience or alternatively lead people to believe that there is no way that they can possibly be saved. If you have too much gospel, then people think that they can just sin all willy nilly. And that lessens the the authority or lessens the force of the sin. The law should show us our sin while the gospel motivates us to lead a life that is pleasing to God. So if you think that a church or a pastor or a message or a conversation doesn't have enough of the law or the gospel, make sure that you pray on it for discernment because we never know what's happening behind the scenes. And don't be afraid to mention this sin. But at the same time, don't be afraid to mention our Savior and his grace. You have to have both the law and the gospel. And this is the non-microwave truth. Peace punch, Captain Crunch. Say no to drugs and yes to Jesus. I'm out.